Hello, everyone. Doug here. Thanks for joining into another episode on our podcast here at Lord's Love Church, where everything we do is to help you receive and live out the love of Christ. I'm really excited. I hope you can tell by my tone of voice. Uh, we're starting something new today. Uh, we're starting a new segment of our podcast where I get to have conversations with different people within our church. And each person, of course, has their own unique story. But I believe these stories uh, we could grow and benefit from as well. Uh, people have asked me, how long has this idea been uh, on my heart? And I do believe God has placed this idea on my heart. And it's been over a year ago now. And why? Well, have you ever been in a conversation, a lecture or a presentation and you think others just need to hear this? Well, at LLC, I'm just so blessed to have so many moments like this where I'm having conversations with you, the church, and I just wish that others were able to listen in, uh, not in a gossipy kind of way, but just from a way of, of learning and a, heart, a, heart, a posture of growth and a posture of just growing our, and building our community because I felt like uh, uh, that we needed uh, to hear each other's stories and it's unique in the ways that God is working in each one of your lives and we could just grow our community and understanding of each other in that way. And I felt like uh, podcasting, uh, this is a way for me to steward the people, uh, the gifts and the stories we, hear, we have here at LLC because they're so rich. And these are stories from the church for the church. And I really do hope that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, today's conversation was is with Amy Chu, who is a recent graduate from Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, Canada. And she majored in communications. And she's a longtime member at LLC and she serves in various capacities. Amy with uh, we'll share more about her time at SFU uh, as she served in InterVarsity, which is a campus ministry. And she'll also share more about her heart for justice and missions, as well as the meaning of sustainable serving as she shares more about her personal life and her struggles with burnout as well. Well, without further ado, uh, here is my conversation with Amy Chu. Today's conversation, I'm having it with uh, Amy Chu. Uh, who goes to LLC. She's a member at our church, and I'm so glad to be having this conversation uh, with you, Amy. Uh, so hi, Amy. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this is fun. This is a cool um, ministry that we're starting at LLC, and it's so good to have you be the first one on uh, to our <laughs> podcast. You're like, I remember when I first mentioned that to you, you're like, oh, I don't know. That seems like, you know, a big, a lot of pressure. Uh, but I, I'm glad to have you on here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. do, do you generally listen to a lot of podcasts on your own? Um, not as much as I want. Um, I like I've recently because Spotify has its own section of podcasts. So I've been kind of looking for a good podcast to listen to, but I haven't like dedicated myself to a specific series or anything. So, right. I, I've come to learn that uh, podcasting is a uh, it's a way of communicating, especially in a time now uh, where mm -hmm. we're, we're disconnected physically because of COVID and we're still right in the middle of it. And maybe the second wave is coming uh, in, in Vancouver. Right. Praying, it, praying it won't, but <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> it, it just seems like it's the way that we communicate uh, with um, people around us. Uh, right. I was actually just looking at your Instagram before this. Uh, I remember I saw a photo uh, of you meeting The Rock Oh, the yeah. Rock, the Rock, a.k.a. Actually, his real name is Dwayne Johnson. But <laughs> yeah, you want to tell us about that? Like, how did you meet him? What was that about? Yeah. Um, so I think this was several years ago. Um, and I was shooting a concert for the Vancouver Metropolitan Orchestra with my mentor at that time, who was mentoring me in um, just photography in general. And we were shooting and we didn't know that he was going to be coming but suddenly we got word from um the facility that apparently the rock is coming and that all security guards need to be on standby to assist him and we we're like wow the rock is coming so like we're all very excited um but the point of it was that we didn't um we didn't know when he was going to be coming because he wanted to sneak in to the concert and not be noticed by the public um but yeah, like I ended up after the concert being able to meet him um, in person uh, and backstage. And so that was a really cool experience. Yeah. Is he as large of a human being as he looks? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's so tall. He's like, oh. 
towering above me. And I'm like, I'm what, 5'2"? So, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's a big guy. But he's really nice. He's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I remember reading once that, uh, well, I'm not sure what he was doing at the VSO. I guess The Rock really likes music from the symphony. But yeah. he used to li- live in Vancouver because I, I think he tried out for the CFL. And he tried right. out, he played he played or he tried out for the Lions, the BC Lions. I'm not sure. I'm uh, not sure either. I, yeah, he did definitely have a history with BC Lions. Right. How did you get to meet him afterwards? Like, did he just linger? He was just staying, on, staying behind, uh, meeting people background, on the background? I believe he had a connection with the conductor. And so he, after the performance, he went backstage to talk to the conductor. And we were there um, because we knew that he would be there with the conductor. And so we were getting shots uh, for him. And so since we were there, he ended up talking to us as well, too. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't, I don't, I don't think everyone can say they've met a celebrity like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the closest is probably for me is the closest is uh, I'm driving down Canby Street Bridge, which uh, for those listening not in Vancouver, it's a street that goes right into downtown, uh, and and I saw a famous chef uh, walking a, a, across the street. He's, he's not even that. He's famous in terms of like locally, like Vijas. Right. Uh, this walking down, I'm like, oh, that's Vijas, you know, walking down the street. <laughs> uh, or I've seen some like Vancouver Canucks like running on the on the bridge, uh, but that's about right. it. Uh, yeah, but but I guess like even then that was uh, a couple of years ago. You were uh, you said being mentored for photography or in media and communications. Uh, was that kind of your first gig or your first experience in media and communications? Uh, well, photography has always been something that has been a part of my life. Um, my dad was also really into photography, although he never like did it professionally. He um, definitely played around with cameras a lot. Um, and I remember watching him as a kid with all his gear and he would take photos of us. Um, and so that was always like something that I had a connection with. And one of the first like presents that I got from him was actually a, a small point and shoot camera. And mm. so that was something that like that I had growing up as a child. And later on, I found became something more than just a hobby. Right. And mm. so, Yeah. You want to explain that a little bit? What do you mean by more than a hobby? Um, so in around 2017, I started shooting um, with Pentasport, just volunteering. Um, and because they needed someone to like take photos of their games. And so I would just show up and um, Greta and Aaron had uh, kindly lent me their Canon um, DSLR. Mm. And I, so I started shooting with that and that was really fun. Um, and eventually I think people started approaching me and they're like, Hey, like, you're pretty good at photos. Like, why don't you like shoot, shoot this for me? Or like, why don't you come and shoot this event for me? And so eventually because of those gigs, I was able to meet that mentor that I talked about, um, earlier and yeah. And he took me under his wing to, um, mentor me in photography, um, and teach me a lot of skills that I needed for editing um for shooting different kinds of photos um which was a blessing for me yeah mm. i find it fascinating where something that started off as an interest or something fairly insignificant it's bloomed and blossomed into something of significance where you've impacted different parts of the church and ministry i i remember like you you definitely are one of the go-tos at llc when we need need, need photos and it's not just because like you can take photos but it's because you do so well I remember talking about uh, it was a couple, last year or a couple of years ago the baptism. I was like, "Hey, can you take like a bap- you know, photos for a baptism?" Uh, and you're like, "Oh yeah, sure." I'm like, "Can you take the ones where like you know they're just about to like come out of the water?" And like you're like, "Yeah, sure, I'll give it a try." <laughs> yeah. Um, so even the fact of like I guess serving, I know it's dear in your heart, uh, but it's also a capacity or it's a way that you have been able to use your gifts and it's developed over the years. Uh, sure. And you mentioned Pentasport, and then even like some of your work being out there, uh, it mm-hmm. spreads in the community uh, where you're able to do uh, something somewhat, you know, in your not only just your interest but also uh, your career. Uh, but photography, though, that's not really the, the what you studied. Uh, I know you just graduated uh, from SFU, uh, but you want to share with us like what did you study in undergrad? Uh, what was your journey like going into college, university? 
Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so my journey was actually quite, um, maybe I'd, I'd say different from most people's. Um, but yet at the same time, it's not that in common. It's just not, um, most people don't share these stories. Um, I initially wanted to go into nursing for, um, for the longest time. I think even at the end of high school, um, I was pretty decided on going into nursing. Um, and that was, I had like volunteered in like healthcare, um, related roles. I had like, I had so much like hours of that and just like intentionally putting myself in a place where I hope to get into nursing. Mm. And so for the first two years of college, I was at Langara um, doing the pre-nursing uh, prerequisites, um, right. hoping to get a higher um, GPA to get into the programs. Um, but unfortunately, like my grades at the very end, tail end of those two years, like it was still not good enough. And I remember kind of coming to a point where I realized I'm like, if I spend the next however long it takes for me to get in, am I wasting my time? Because mm, wow. why, like, how would I know that I ever can get in, right? Even if I keep repeating the same courses over and over again, like, what, there's no guarantee, right? And so that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe I need to take a plan B. Um, and I think at that point in my life, that was a quite a confusing time because I invested so much time and energy into this career that I wanted to get into only to be met with a wall and closed doors. And yeah. so that was something that um, really broke me. I'd say it really made me question who I was even because I had wow. put so much of my like identity in, in this career. I had told everyone I want to become a nurse. Right. Um, and so people from my family, people from church, um, people in my community all knew me as that girl who wanted to become a nurse. Yeah. And that was such a big part of my identity, right? So, yeah, like, I think I went from that um, to deciding to leave um, this career path. Um, and that was, that was quite a journey for me. Um, yeah. Just figuring that out and knowing where I wanted to go. Um, so from that point onwards, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I don't know, like, <laughs> what do I like, right? Do I still want to keep the door open for in case I one day, like, want to go back into nursing? Um, or do I just want to switch career paths completely, right? Um, and I think with that sort of question in mind, I went to SFU. Um, mm. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just major in psychology. That's something related to nursing. And potentially in the future, I can go back into nursing. Um but I think when I got to SFU, I kind of realized I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to spend the next two years in psychology or like studying something <laughs> I just, I'm not too interested in, right? Right, right. And that's when I began like looking around and being like, oh, wow, there's like, there's uh, IET, um, Interactive Arts and Technology at SFU, there's like communications. Um, and I started looking around and trying different courses to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. Wow. And so I think that was where I kind of came to a point of decision. I'm like, you know what? Journalism has something is something that I've always been interested in. Um, and there's also the photography piece to it. But I think the closest thing I could get to that area or that field was communications at that point. And so I was like, okay, why not? Right. Because it's something that I'm clearly interested in. Um, and it's there. And communications is probably... I think SFU communication is probably the only program I want to say hmm. in the lower mainland. And I'm like, Oh, well, why not? It's I'm in the school anyways. I might as well transfer to that faculty. And so, yeah, wow. that's how I got to communications. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about um, like the roadblocks you've gone through and the struggle in that. And I guess what I'm thinking about when you're originally attracted to nursing, was there something particularly interesting to you about nursing? Was it because it's, it's, a, it's a good job, you're helping people? Uh, or was, was there some other kind of thinking and thought behind that, of why you wanted to go into nursing? Mm. Um, I think, well, for me, I, I remember initially getting that idea of nursing from my friend who was like, I want to be a nurse. And I was like, 
<laughs> oh, that sounds cool. I want to be a nurse too. But I think the whole entire role really fit really well with what I wanted out of the career. I want to make an impact on people. I want to do yes. something that is meaningful and actually does something good for our community and our, our world, right? And right. so that was something that I had in mind that I'm, I don't want something that is just oh, a normal nine to five. I want something that actually changes our, our community for the better, right? Right. And so that was my that was my mentality of I want something that has an impact, something that can bring good. Right. And right. I think nursing just fit really well in that aspect of like direct impact, and you really see the results of what your labor is, right? So. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's a real. That's really good because I often think about. Uh, well, I remember for myself, anyways, going through high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought for me, it was going to be sports and I was going to go through with that. But then often you think about afterwards, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Like, well, no income is important, right? Like having, yeah. you no, know, Vancouver is expensive housing in the lower mainland. So like, I should probably have a place to live, have a, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? right? Have a way of getting around. But your answer there really does make me think and encourages me. Like in the sense of like, I think there's a part in all of us that wants to make an impact. Uh, mm-hmm. But often we, and we know what, uh, that we want to make an impact and we want to do what's right and what's good. But often we curb those because there's other temptations in right. the world. Um, but at the same time, now I see like what you're doing and your pa- passion and communications, you're also affecting the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I see a bridge there. Like that, that passion hasn't exactly changed. It's just the context of how you're applying it has changed. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, how, how is it like talking to your friends when you're making the career or even, even with family uh, when you're having those, uh, yeah, when you're having those struggles, like this wrestling with, okay, am I changing entirely or do I keep pursuing? Right. Um, I think it was definitely a struggle um, kind of announcing even that decision of moving away from um, nursing. And I, Again, it was such a big part of my identity at that point in my life that for me, I had trouble letting go of it. Um, But also like feeling like I was a disappointment to all the people around me because they had so like, they were so happy for me or so like, oh wow, so supportive of me going into this career for the longest time. I had a, um, I have a family friend who actually was a nurse and um, she gave me her old stethoscope um it was a really nice stethoscope too and she Mm. was like you know amy in the future when you become a nurse um i hope you can use this well and Mm. there were just so many people who were so supportive of me and i think just breaking that's like or breaking their hopes for me was um something that i had to work through um my family was pretty supportive of me um initially and i think like my parents like I think they just wanted the best for me. And so they were like, you know what, Amy, if this isn't working for you, that's fine. Um, But I know they also like, there was a sense of disappointment as well too, um, for sure. And because they, I had like established this so clearly that I wanted this career for myself and to, for them to see me not, not get, I guess, get what I want or like not have my dreams like happen hurt for them, I guess. And so, Mm -hmm. I think that was something that we had to work through as well as a family. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. that, that that's hard. I, I, as you're speaking, how often, um, I know in my life anyways, that the fear of disappointing others have stopped me from making decisions right. or, or stopped me from acting when I should have acted or, or, or stopped me from uh, moving forward in whatever capacity it, it is. Uh, and I think what you highlighted there is very key because I think many people wrestle with that. That is this like, there's this paralyzing and, and this is totally off script. We don't have a script anyways, <laughs> but this is totally <laughs> off like the questions and we're on a tangent. I love it. I love these kind of organic conversations, but like in terms of like, we're not wanting to disappoint or maybe it's the fear of failure mm-hmm. in some sense, like we're afraid to even extend ourselves out. Like I, I, I'm very encouraged that you would even have these conversations with people and say, Hey, I'm thinking of pursuing this career. I'm thinking of going in this direction. Mm-hmm. But some, some of us might be even fearful of doing that because once I put my foot down, 
you know, there's like no turning back in a way, or like if there is, there's a lot of shame, a lot of disappointing right. in people. And that's what I'm hearing and the, what you have navigated through. And those are some complex thoughts. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was also thinking like in the last couple of years, maybe I, I've been, I've served with you in, a, in quite a few missions trips over mm-hmm. the years. When was, we were in Macau one year. Right. Uh, that was, what year was that? 2015, I, I think. 2015. Wow, it's five years already. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, been, it's been five years. Uh, like, yeah, 2015, uh, going to Macau. Like, I remember it was me, you, uh, and Matthew. Matthew Chow, we were, mm-hmm. like, you know, took the flight from Vancouver and then met with the rest of our team in Hong Kong. And uh, we had Taylor. someone. Yeah, we had, we had Taylor Jermaine. come join us. Um, and yeah, Jermaine was in Hong Kong and Brian Lee. Yeah, uh, it was, was was also there, and and that, that was quite good. Like in some sense, like to see all of us come together in a foreign place uh, to serve, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was Ghana. Uh, we were we were in Ghana together. Our 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 team there. That's quite interesting. Uh, our 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 van broke down uh, quite a few times. I remember oh, one that. The, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I remember when it was like uh, what was the longest time it broke down for three hours, three four hours on the side of the road. And you're playing the guitar in the middle of that highway. Oh yeah, uh, that was so fun. <laughs> it, well, I remember that. And it wasn't a busy highway, okay? It was like it was like once in a while a car will come by, but it was like a long stretch of highway with this red dirt all around. Uh, <laughs> I remember that being quite iconic. Um, but I would say, like, when I think of like someone with a heart for justice and a heart for missions, um, I you definitely do come to mind. Uh, I guess my question is like, when and how did that? form in you like what you know you think about like missions and justice like what does that mean to you um how does it impact your life right um i think i think ghana was probably one of the most um forming experiences um out of i think everything i remember just and i've told this story before um where i was in ghana uh we had just landed um from and we were coming out of the airport and i just remember we were sitting in a van and we were at this traffic light and we had stopped uh and we were waiting for it to turn green and suddenly this this child i think he was no not even older than 10 maybe like eight or nine and he came up to the window and started knocking and he was essentially asking for money and i remember at that moment i was it's a very stark moment for me because I I remember it so clearly Mm. and I just felt so conflicted I wasn't sure what to do and I'm here I am this obviously lighter skin person Mm -hmm. um in a foreign country and there's this child coming up to me for money and I, I don't even know like I don't know what to do in that moment and that was I I carry that memory with me like for so many years even now i still remember it and that's something that has shifted how i see that poverty um what's the word for it like disparity Hmm. yeah 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 yeah. that we see between like the poor and like us the one percent who have pretty much like that one percent of wealth in the world right um yeah like and I think even to this day, yeah, I think that's something that I think back to. And I think I remember coming back from Ghana. Um, it was just really, it was a tough time because I was torn between knowing the fact that just yeah. 16 hours away from us, there are people that are starving, that are not having enough to eat, um, that don't live um, in the same circumstances that we do. And we're so blessed here and we, we have so many things like water, food, shelter, like the basic necessities that we think are basic, but for them that they need to struggle for every single day. Um, yeah. And I, I think that kind of shifted how I thought of poverty, which used to be something that was so far away. Right. Yeah. It, that, uh, the picture you painted, like when we land in Accra, which is the capital uh, yeah. in Ghana, and it seems okay because Accra is a, you know, it's a big city and, and they have, uh, sim- well, it's not exactly the same, but similar infrastructures and some companies you, were, you would recognize uh, that are here in Vancouver as well. 
mm-hmm. but as you drive farther out, uh, like the like the disparity is very in your face. And right. It's very clear, right. uh, and and seeing that it really does shock you. So when you go on missions, you, when you serve in that way in a foreign country, especially, uh, you have to get adapted to to the culture, and mm-hmm. and, and what you actually explain when you come back, there's a you have to land the plane again, where yeah. where you're kind of re- recultured to our own context here, and you have to adapt again. Uh, but I remember having a conversation with you there and saying, "Hey, like things shouldn't be that way," mm-hmm. uh, and how like things in in Vancouver, like how do we keep living with this understanding of people around the world suffering in this way? But how can we go back to our normal everyday lives as if we never saw it? Right. And but here's the crazy thing, though. I think this the Ganesh trip was like three years ago. But I think within like in the past three years, I've come to realize that we're pretty blind about this because there's poverty right in front of our eyes yeah. in this very city. Um, we know it like most people know downtown East side. Like that's, that's the iconic place that we think about in Vancouver that has a lot of poverty um, and drug abuse as well too and addiction issues. But we don't, we don't really talk about that. And there are poor people in, in this very city who are suffering as well. And yet we sometimes, I guess, a lot of us think, oh, like, but the poor people are far away or the people are suffering or are suffering injustices are far away. But it's like, no, they're in our city, guys. Like, and that's something that I had to learn um, over the years and realize, yeah, they're, we always think like missions is far away, but it's here in our city. Um, there's so much that we can do within our own um, home mm. if we, if we're willing to do it. Mm. Mm. And I, I, it just it just paints the the picture again, and it just highlights how poverty comes in different forms, and mm-hmm. poverty comes in different ways, and you see it differently around the world. But it's it's there because human brokenness is real, uh, right. and a lot of times poverty is created because of selfishness of other human beings, not so much of something a decision that one person has made, but it's a result collectively as a society that we right. see this disparity and. Uh, which is interesting, like not in a good way, interesting, but like in a way that you, you see that disparity over in, in a country that's not fully developed yet. But yet, yet you also see that here when you're walking, like you said, downtown. Uh, but also in some, like in this, uh, you have, you've also served on the campus at SFU uh, in the last, especially two years, two, three years. <laughs> uh, you want to tell us more about that uh, in the ways that you've served uh, with InterVarsity, uh, and how uh, you've wrestled with those on campus as well? Yeah. Um, so I think after going to SFU, um, I was introduced to um, a club called InterVarsity, and they're basically a Christian group on campus. And um, something that they do a lot is Bible studies. And you might heard of the term inductive Bible study, which is something yeah. that, that they're kind of known for, I guess. Because um, right. I guess not many campus groups do that. Um, but yeah, like I joined there, I joined InterVarsity around like maybe two, two and a half years ago. Um, and it's been, I don't know, it's just a very different experience of what missions looks like, um, and Mm. how they like change that, that view of, oh, missions must be far away. And again, like, because of that mindset, people often think, oh, well, there's no missions here. I don't really need to, like, what is there to do here, right? But I, I something that I really appreciated about um, InterVarsity was the way that they saw missions as being something on campus to mm. the very students that, that go to that college or go to that university, um, rather than seeing it as, oh, like, these are just people that we, we just happen to be around every day. I think they saw it as more of like, oh, this is our missions field. We have four to five years here with these people. Yeah. Um, people who are searching for purpose in life, most of them being like, oh, what do I want to major in? What do I want to do with my life? And it's such a crucial time um, to be reaching in and being like, hey, we we can help. We have something that can help. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm, I think for those of you who are listening, who are in college, <laughs> recommend you check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah plug plug 
I, that, that reminds me, I had a conversation. Uh, it was a, a prof I had in seminary for, and she specialized in missions. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are area of study, but she was saying how she's quoting another professor saying how we often think of the darkness of the jungle, like in, in the African jungle or like in the Congo or, you know, wherever it is. Right. right. Uh, but the, the, the author challenged us to think, have you thought about the darkness that happens on the campus, you know, of our universities, of our own cities, in your neighborhood, uh, in, in the complex that you live in? Uh, right. You know, like, do we often think about it that way? Because, uh, like, darkness is everywhere, and we're meant to be light everywhere. It's not just a particular spot. It's like, well, brokenness and sin has taken on uh, and taken on the whole world. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, you, you brought up something about time. So, like, you know, you said like within our varsity on campus ministry, you only have about four to five years. How, right. how did, how did that limited time affect your urgency in terms of mm. reaching people? Like how did it affect your heart or how did it affect the way you saw people around you? Right. Yeah. That's a great question. I, I think I've read like some articles on this as well too. Um, just how the difference of campus ministry versus say a community church like ministry within a, a church setting is different um, in campus ministry because of the short amount of time that you have with these students. Um, it's a lot more intense um, and more pushy even if you might feel it when you're actually serving in the ministry because you know that you have a limited time with these students and um, right. you're more, I guess, there's more urgency to to grow and develop these students and invest in them um when they are um just in your circle still as like as opposed to being in a church where um there's many different people in different life stages um and it's a more of a long-term ministry as opposed to a um seasonal or um life stage ministry yeah mm. uh, i i think there's a like when we in the in ministry, anyways, we talk about there's church and then there's parachurch. So like ministries that happen outside of the church setting. Right. There's also a strange kind of thinking because if all of it is ministry and we're all serving God together, should there there not be more overlap? And I know I'm getting to again. I, again, these this wasn't one of the <laughs> things we <were> discussed. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, okay. but in some sense though, like uh, I know it also might be a touchy topic in some churches. I know LLC for us, like we have a young adults ministry, a college ministry, and we've been trying to learn how to bridge the gap. Uh, right. Like, I, I don't know, what, what, what have been some things you learned on the, on the campus that you think the church can benefit, a church and meaning like LLC or like, quote unquote, a formal church uh, can learn from the experiences that you had on campus? Great. Um. Actually, that's a question that I never really thought. Like, I do have hmm. things, but not specifically because they're in college. Per sure. Se. sure. Um, I think something that was important. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can talk about this. I guess, like, something that was very important um, that we focused a lot on within campus ministry was discipleship. Um, this oh, idea yeah. that, like, yeah, this idea that you need to disciple the next generation of leaders because the turnover rate of students and people graduating and um, people just like passing through university is so quick um, that within these four or five years, you need to disciple up leaders, um, people that can lead um, within university. And so I think that was definitely an emphasis um, and the idea that you disciple other people to also disciple more people. And it's that chain reaction that keeps going down. Um, That was uh, important and I feel like our church could definitely like benefit from because discipleship isn't meant to be just the oh I'm gonna disciple you and that's it right but no it's meant to build that person up to also disciple another person and it keeps going and that's how you know we pass down right what we believe in right right yeah and the thing is like if we're as a church uh, if we're not discipling then what are we really doing uh, right. I, I like. I think we had, we need to come back to what's what's important. And when you mentioned four to five years that you have with uh, the college or university students, well, Jesus had three years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with, Even and, shorter. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the thing is, he's Jesus. I get it. Like, <laughs> like he had three years with with the disciples, and that was three years like full on, full time, every meal, 
you're all, you know, in the same place every single day. Like uh, that was the kind of discipleship that we're talking about. And in some sense, like when you talk about university or you talk about campus ministry, that kind of intentionality, I think the limited time and Jesus knew this very full well, like the limited time he had led mm-hmm. to intentionality and, lim- and, and it allowed uh, for him and the disciples he's with to concentrate on what's, uh, what's most important. Uh, yeah. And in some sense, like I think churches, we can get distracted uh, by, by many different things. So I think discipleship is, is quite important. Um, and we're trying to make the shift and, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but in terms of like discipleship making, even though you might have four to five years or however many years we have a church, it's still, I can use the word inefficient. Right. Like, I mean, Jesus have, well, it was one to 12, uh, but discipleship is messy relationship is mess messy there's no straight linear line but i think churches in the west and i think you might agree with this like our boxes and like you know our lines and like the cross our t's uh (laughs) yeah and i i think like we've definitely we've definitely put discipleship in a box where like we assume it's a program right and a lot of Mm, times it's just easier to to just say oh like you know, just join this program. If you want to be a disciple, join this program or um, just follow these, like these five steps to discipleship. Um, we love our listicles, right? Like all our articles are like breakdowns of what just the essentials that you need for discipleship. But I think, yeah, discipleship, like you were saying earlier, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's a relationship. Um, and relationships are messy. Um, right. People are messy. And I think there is definitely not a one formula to do discipleship but it definitely does require time and like time and just a lot of heart behind it as well to to pour into one person right right and just to make make things clear we're not against lists oh yeah no no. we're not against lists (laughs) they're convenient way of conveying information but yeah within discipleship (laughs) maybe we can find another thing to describe it and, and I know uh, in your worship leading at church, you've mentioned uh, the duality in scripture in terms of how like written in the here and not yet uh, and the paradoxes that we, that we live in. And in some sense, it's, this is another one of them where we say it's organic and it's messy, but yet there's also structure. And But mm-hmm. we're not meant to be tied to one or the other, but we're, it's meant to be a pendulum that swings back and forth. And we're right. never just to remain static, nor to swing all the way to one side, but it's constantly moving uh, back and forth. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe I want to pivot a little bit. I, I'm, I'm thinking about the ways that you've served and on the same line of discipleship and how we make, like making into a program and how church, we like to put our things into our boxes and, 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 and whatnot. Uh, I think there's a danger in that. Um, and I think you would agree. And I, I've, I've experienced that too uh, in terms of maybe people over serving uh, and maybe people feeling the pressure of we have to do this because, you know, if I'm not involved in X, Y, and Z, then things aren't going to go ahead because there's a list of things and we got to check that off. Or it's on the other side. It's like, well, it's just a thing to check off. So I'm just going to do it without mm-hmm. really being intentional. But you, you've been very intentional over the last couple, year and two or two years, intentional on in where you're placing your time, intentional in terms of your gifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you had a bit of experience in terms of burnout. Uh, right. Yeah. So I, I guess you want to share more about that uh, story of burnout and what does it mean to serve sustainably, which is a big part of your life now? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think burnout. So I, I think it stems from, I guess, the culture of maybe because we're Asian and we love doing stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I, right. I do know that for us in Asian culture, there's a lot of doing um, and there's a lot of achieving and trying to do things, but we rarely stop and think why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, yeah. I think that was what I grew up in. Um, that was something that I always felt like I had to do something, um, whether it was like helping other people. Um, this this manifested a lot in church um, where I felt like if I wasn't serving or doing anything, I felt kind of out of place or maybe like even useless, right? Mm. Like what am I doing here? Who am I, right? Um, and this 
desire, it was, I think it was really masked by a desire to contribute, to serve, which I think our culture takes really well um, and they accept really well. But underneath that, it was more of an insecurity, right? If I'm not doing anything, who am I? What am I, right? And I remember there was a point where I, yeah, I took on so much. Um, I was taking, I was working a co-op. I was serving in multiple like volunteer positions and I was serving, I was leading worship at church as well in youth ministry. And there was just so much going on that I remember one day I was taking the SkyTrain home that day. And I remember receiving a bunch of texts um, from Mm -hmm. just different people that I was helping out in different programs with um, and just asking me to do things basically. And mm. I remember sitting there on the sky train and feeling so overwhelmed um, at that moment because I, I just didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. And for, like the, mo- the heart behind it anymore. Um, and I think at that point I, I was faced with either I quit and stop doing all these roles and say, learn to say no, or I just continue burning out even further. Um, and so that was when I really had to, to learn to be like, Hey, I can't take on this. Sorry. I got to say no to this. Mm. And that was really hard for me because I was so used to saying yes and doing things. Right. And when suddenly all that stripped away, I'm like, Oh man, like what, what do I do now? Um, Yeah. And I I think the most real experience was after I had said no and had stepped down from so many things, especially from worship. I'd stepped down from worship and I remember coming in the Sunday afterwards, sitting in the pews and being like, this is so awkward. What am I doing here? Wow. Yeah. So it's just learning. I think learning to say no and being okay with not doing things um, because I think we all have an addiction for doing and mm, mm. yeah yeah especially how like we think our doing gives us worth mm. I, I know that to be true in my own own life the temptation there that whatever i can do or whatever i can accumulate through my doing attributes to my worth and who right. am i as a person yeah. uh, and actually you mentioned a big, huge piece in terms of uh, well i hope it's not a surprise that for our listeners that both Amy and I are Asian, uh, Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you just learned that now, well, surprise. Uh, but in, in some sense, though, look, you're right. In terms of the Asian culture, the whole doing, uh, there's a saying I remember, and, and I think this has stuck with me uh, a long time ago. I think I was like five years old, like four mm-hmm. or five. It's kind of scary because then my oldest, my son, he's five now. So I'm thinking about what he remembers. Like, I remember one of my uncles saying, hey, like, there's a saying in Chinese, like, stop sitting there, stop being a piece of rice. It, you know, like, 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 just don't be there yeah. and be a piece of rice, just, you know, yeah. taking up space and being useless. And I think that really was drilled into who I am, mm-hmm. thinking that, we sh- and that happens early, that you should be doing something, that any free time, it shouldn't be for rest, because rest you know, it's use. You know, it's not useful. You're not making yourself known. That you should be studying. You should be reading something. You should be being active. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why, like, so many Asian families, specifically on the weekends, like their kids are packed with schedules. Right. Yeah. In yeah. terms of tutor, and and the, here's the thing: uh, there's a the best intentionality be- behind all of it, but the, the, it, that kind of culture seeps into the church as well. And there's a real uh, challenge between following Christ or following our culture. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be Asian to have a culture. Like all of us have a certain culture and context that we've grown up in. But I think what you're speaking about, it's like, well, are we going to choose to follow Christ or are we going to choose to follow culture in that moment? And there you have to have a very honest uh, conversation with God. Be like, Hey, like, what am I doing all of this for? Um, and, and you said you felt kind of weird, like being at church. Right. Now, was it weird because you weren't doing anything or is it weird because others uh, you've talked to, you felt like, Oh, it's kind of weird. Like a relationship changed after that. Or like, mm-hmm. what, what was that uh, like? I think it just felt really, <laughs> I, I think the best way to describe it, describe it is wrong. Like I just mm, felt wow. wrong to be sitting there um, while I clearly knew that there was a need and while I clearly knew that, 
I could be useful, quote unquote, useful, um, if I had like been doing something in that moment. Um, yeah, like it's just knowing that I am choosing out of something intentionally for, and I am actually like maybe. I don't know, like being anti-productive, non-productive. Mm, mm, um, mm. That in itself was, it, it's a huge jump. And I think for many people too, like I think a lot of people struggle with like not doing anything, sitting there and being still. Right, and something right. that I think our today our society has lost. Like we don't know how to sit there and be still. And we don't know what it means to to really enjoy that moment or savor that moment without having to do something at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Like we, we have a issue of being silent uh, with being silent and being with our own thoughts mm-hmm. uh, because there's certain things that we don't want to think or feel. And moment we have time to ourselves, like all these kind of emotions, God brings them back up. Be like, Hey, remember that? <laughs> like what, like right. what, what, what you're wrestling with? Uh, yeah. So how, how are you able to like say no to certain things and how were you able to tell what to say yes to? I'm not sure if you feel comfortable. What's behind that question is more of, I'm not sure if you feel comfortable talking about it. There was a certain amount of time where you felt like you had to, to give some space mm-hmm. between you and uh, LLC and church. Right. Uh, like what led up to that? Like how did you come to that decision? Right. Uh, how were you going into that and coming out of that? It, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, initially, I think it was, even stopping serving was a very, like, it was such a struggle for me. And I remember like, even though I was in church and not doing anything, it's just attending as a normal person would attend church. Sure. Um, I, I still felt an immense pressure. And this is maybe from myself as well. Um, just me pressuring myself to, Hey, you need to do something. Um, and just feeling that strong discomfort of like, I'm just here, but not doing anything. And people would still approach me and, and ask, Hey, like, you want to do this? You want to do that? Um, and I'm sure like they didn't know what was going on in my life. And that, that was like completely not their fault. Um, but I need, I knew I needed to not be in that space of being approached and Mm. being asked to serve because that was just not what I needed in that moment. I, I just needed to take almost like a break from being in that community. Um, and again, I don't think this is for everyone either. Mm, um, sure. I don't think everyone needs to leave the community to take a break. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's between you and God. And if, if that's what the spirit is calling you to do in that moment, you do it. Right. But for me in that moment, I felt compelled to just, just step out of it and be okay with it. And I knew, I knew there would be reactions among people um especially within like my family my parents that's Mm -hmm. a shocker to them right like why are you leaving like what's wrong right and so to really be like hey like it's not because there's anything wrong with you guys but it's more like i just need that space to recuperate to kind of remember hey i don't need to be doing all the time but i can just be myself and be if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would speak to a lot of people in terms of feeling stuck. Uh, mm-hmm. I think what, what I'm kind of picking out the theme of, and I think this is true in my own life too, where there's been times of burnout when I've been doing something, when I place doing over being, and I know that sounds cliche, but right. when I place doing over being, but I think what's deeper than that is maybe even for myself, uh, like a people-pleasing side, or am I intentional in discerning whether actually God is calling me to do this? Right. Or am I really pleasing God? Or am I more pleasing people? Right. And that, that's the thing. Like, there's always going to be needs. Uh, and our context, our church is a smaller congregation. But it's the same no matter the size of the church. There's always a need. Uh, right. No matter how big of a company you're, you're working at, no matter the nonprofit you're at, the organization, whatever, there's always a certain need. But mm-hmm. like, whose voice are, are we listening to? Right. Uh, and yeah, and it's back to the whole disappointment theme, right? In the beginning, it's like, you know, are we disappointing God? Are we disappointing people? And if we really had to choose, which one would it be? Mm-hmm. And that, that's that, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough question. 
Yeah. So, so in your time uh, taking a break away, like, how was that? What was that like? Like, you know, what were some thoughts? Uh, what was going through your mind? Yeah. Um, I think being away, I, I think I was very certain, like, I wanted to stay connected to a community, um, some, like, no matter what it was, some form of Christian community, because I knew that if I just stopped altogether and didn't go to any um, church or have any sort of uh, system of support, um, it would be kind of dangerous. Uh, just because, yeah, mm, we, mm. community is, is important. Um, and yeah, so I think during that time, I went to Enoch's church. So Enoch is my boyfriend, mm. for those of you don't know, who don't know. Shout out um, to Enoch. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Enoch. Um, but yeah, and I think during that time when I was at Enoch's church, um, I was fully a stranger or visitor at their church um and i had to assume that role and it was very uncomfortable i think even though it wasn't my own church i felt strange out of place at someone else's church um and i knew i didn't like that wasn't um not not that people there weren't welcoming but like more so that that wasn't where i was originally supposed to be and even the thought of that was like oh like that's weird but also forced me to be like, you can't do anything here. Like you can't, you really can't. Um, And so I think that that in itself was helpful because it forced me to be like, what am I doing here? Why do I come every Sunday for what? Right. And why do I do the things that I do at church? Why do I help out? Why do I serve? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I really do feel that's going to resonate with a lot of people, especially what you said in the beginning too about how even though you felt like you needed to take a break from everything you know, for your own spiritual health, for your own mental health, for your own physical uh, physical health, uh, just because you're taking a break from it doesn't mean you take away take a break from community. Mm-hmm. I think that's really profound what you just said there because we're called to be in community. We're called to be with people. God created us to be with one another uh to to fellowship and that's all throughout scripture all the way from the beginning till you know through to the end right. uh, and actually that's what church is about uh, it's about community and not actually it's about being with each other not so much of what we can do right right uh but that doing again and, and I, I attribute it back to the ways we've been brought up and this the temptation of the boxes we have mm-hmm. uh in the church that we have to be doing something to feel like we're we're productive mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah, well, well, because the, the thing is like, and for those that don't know, like, like Amy, like you had a pretty prominent role in terms of worship leading, mm-hmm. like in terms of, um, that, that was one of your main ministries. Uh, you thought about pursuing that a little bit more. So in order mm-hmm. to like, and maybe that's still, you know, <laughs> still, still going on, but like to, to lay that all down, that must've been difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think something that. I thought a lot about uh, during that time of just deciding whether or not to step back from leading worship was what's going to happen to all the other people who are still um, serving. Cause um, clearly there's a shortage of people um, on the worship team already. And I think there was a fear in me of, Oh no, if I leave, things will crumble. Things mm. will, you know, there won't be enough people that I'm putting burdens on people. Um, that didn't have to happen if I stayed, right? And I think a big part of me was just so scared to leave because of that. And I remember having a conversation with um, a close friend of mine and remember her asking me, Ashley, like, Amy, like, do you think, don't you think it's kind of prideful of you to say that you hold up the ministry? And I was like, yeah yeah that's so true it is prideful of me and I think a lot of times we think oh no like if we if we stop doing something or if we like if we step out things are going to fall apart but we kind of forget that God is the one holding up this ministry and God is the one that built it up in the first place so who are we to say that if if our contribution is gone that it will crumble or disappear right right and I just realized how prideful even that thought of, oh, it depends on me. (laughs) Um, 
is, right? So, yeah. You know, that just highlights the need for community again. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm thankful for that friend of yours that's able yeah. to say things like, like, we all need someone like that. And when I think, when we talk about community and we talk about gatherings, we're not talking about like how we're made for community and made to gather with people. We're not talking about the mass. I guess there's a time and place for corporate and mass you know, gatherings of people and we encourage and edify each other and worship in that setting. Mm-hmm. But just like community, I think God has call, uh, called us into relationship. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for that, like you wouldn't have had that conversation uh, with your friend, which is really significant mm-hmm. because many of us think like, especially as leaders, we think we're holding up the ministry. Like in the beginning, it's like, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. Uh, and then it becomes like, okay, God has called me to do this. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm like, go through. And then it becomes, I'm actually holding it all up together. <laughs> and God is kind of out of the picture. And right, yeah. there's that temptation there, uh, which isn't right by any means. But yeah, so 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 it, it was actually in that conversation with your friend that gave you the freedom to step mm-hmm. down, yeah, uh, and to step away. Yeah. So in, in your experience now, moving forward, how is all like the burnout and the tiredness and the wrestling and you know taking some time away? Like, how does that all connect to what it means to sustainably serve? Mm-hmm. I know I know that's a big term. Uh, right. in, in your life, sustainable serving. Right. Uh, you want, yeah, you care to expand on that or explain yeah. what that means to you? And yeah, for sure. Um, I think sustainable serving. Yeah, um, it it is a big word. Um, I think that's something that I was discovering as um, during my time away from OLC is learning what it meant um, to serve in a way where you don't run dry. Um, mm. and I think that was also, um, something that I did during the time I was gone from LC was actually serve at another place. And now, and now I, I understand it sounds kind of like, what are you just yeah. like escaping to another place to serve? Like, what does that mean? Right. Um, but I think during that time, um, I was serving with InterVarsity and it was a one-year term on their leadership. Um, and so I was initially very hesitant because I was like, I don't, I don't like, why would I like, I'm burning out. Why would I serve elsewhere? But I think something that I felt the spirit tell me was like, Hey, Amy, this is, this is a place where it's safe. You can learn to serve and there are clear boundaries for you to learn to self serve in a healthy way. Um, and I kind of realized that I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll try. Um, and so I think during that time, something that I really learned was setting proper rhythms, setting proper boundaries, um, mm. and really knowing where the spirit is wanting you to serve. Because I think when you don't know, that's when you start overstretching. And that's when you start, oh, maybe I'll take on this as well. Maybe I'll take on that as well. And I think before even accepting or taking on any role, it's that important step to ask, hey, God, do you want me to do this? Is this something you want me to do? And having that clear boundary of, okay, whenever like, whenever it's too much, I need to say no and be okay with saying no and being clear about it. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know if that answer. Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely helps. Like you, you talked about boundaries uh, and rhythms and I know the rhythm of rest is important mm-hmm. uh, and as you're leading us through uh, the gospel of Mark uh, in our studies, that, that's been a you know, great theme too that we, we've been seeing of, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know what? I, that, that's definitely a topic worth, ex, uh, worth exploring. I think I would definitely need to have you back. <laughs> have more, have more conversation. You in that. Do one whole po- podcast on Sabbath and yeah. Rest. Yeah. Sabbath and rest. Because here's the thing, like what I think that affirms or encourages me is that like serving isn't bad or negative it's actually the way of us understanding serving and if even deeper yet understanding how god has called you to right that in some sense like and this is totally this is worth exploring later but some would argue burnout never happens but i'm like well you see people burn out so i'm like well, obviously it's it's real <laughs> so but then like you know what are the uh what contributes to burnout uh, i think what you just addressed there is 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 uh, speaks into that mm-hmm. Well, Amy, I think our time is up, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. The time <laughs> went by way too quickly. 
and I would love to have another conversation uh, with you uh, in the new future. Yeah, so thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me here. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in today, no matter where it is that you're listening from. I hope the conversation I had with Amy Chu was a blessing and encouragement to you. Uh, the Stories from the Church segment is going to be aired every two weeks on the Wednesday. So our next conversation is happening uh, in two weeks, and it's going to be with Jess Lung on the topic of being in a season of waiting, what it means to wait on God uh, during that time, a time of uncertainty, a time of unknown. And I know uh, many of us can resonate with that, especially with the year that we've had in 2020. So stay tuned uh, for that, and I hope you're able to join us again soon.